Good evening. If you love Jesus, say amen. 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 That was kind of weak. If you love Jesus, say amen. Amen. I like that. That was, we had some good music tonight. Not counting, I'm talking about my song. But the music was all really good and such a blessing. Thank you for that. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 3? And then when you find that, I'll give you another passage we'll look at in 1 Thessalonians. <clears throat> Romans chapter 3. Tonight I'd like to preach a message I entitled, The Cross, the Cost, and the Commitment. The Cross, the Cost, and the Commitment. Romans chapter 3, not new verses to you, but let's review some here. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26, we read, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all, and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now look over at 1 Thessalonians Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8 with me. First Thessalonians 1, 8. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer and ask God to speak through his word tonight. Father, we love you for all your mercies and blessings and graciousness to our lives. The years that you've given it and itself is grace from you and we thank you for it. We thank you for the opportunity to be here with These are your precious people, our home church, and pray that you'll continue to bless in all the ministry here and the leaders and the work and give them increased and better vision for a world lost and dying without Christ around them. We pray for your mercies regarding the political leaders in this area. We ask that you would have your will and way and give us the grace to live with what you give us and to go on and be a witness for Christ no matter what. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As you know, we just returned from England and I showed you some slides of different architecture and I really never got enough of just looking around because the, the structure and the buildings and all of those places and the edifices and even the churches, of course, there was more than just churches, but all of the architecture was just appealing to me and I wanted to see more and more. The world has its cathedrals. Man attempts to build a tabernacle and buildings with the skill of his hands and somehow trying to put forth the atmosphere of worship concerning God. But we know in our lives, those of us who are Christians and are born again, that God did his most wondrous work through Christ. And without the work of God, all of man's efforts are vain 
of course, as a matter of salvation. We can go to many different places. Years ago, my youngest son was in the Oxford singing children while we were living here, and they had an opportunity to sing at the National Cathedral. And some of his parents went as sponsors and took a whole bus full of children. I'm glad I was younger then. I could handle it. I, w- I don't think I'd be able to do that now. <laughs> but we, went, we drove up on a Friday. They had the music on Saturday, and we drove back Saturday afternoon, that trip. But I remember, well, this is going to be interesting, and seeing the National Cathedral for the first time, the building was nice, and it's that same architectural thing that was appealing, but I was really disappointed in the fact that on the walls were crosses with an emblem on them that was supposed to represent my Jesus. And Jesus is no longer there. He is risen, and we serve him today. God was saying when Jesus died on the cross that he was displaying his love and for each and every one of us. And praise God, Christ is not on the cross today. The reason for the cross is very simply put from Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, and we need somebody. We need somebody to save our wretched souls for where our sins will take us. And thank God that we have that wondrous blessing and we have the reason for the cross. We must have a savior, the Bible tells us. We are sinners bound for hell, that awful place of everlasting damnation. I remember as a child hearing messages on hell and I was scared. The first time the Holy Spirit dealt with me as a child, I wasn't sure what I was supposed to do and I saw some of my friends who would go down and casually decide different things but the Lord saved me when I was nine years old and even though I didn't understand everything about what God was and was doing and is doing, I was so thankful that Jesus died for my sins and I know you feel that way too. God was telling us through Christ that we have a place of escape and that he wants us to come to heaven with him. What the world does not understand is God is offering that to all and yet some refuse to accept it. And you and I are left with the task of being some kind of instrument to go and speak to others and try to persuade them of the wonderful love of God and how much he cares for them. Why did God choose us? That's an interesting question to ask. There's not really an answer to why except that he did. He could have chosen any other method that he so desired to get the gospel out, but he uses you and I. I'm overwhelmed by that sometimes, and I'm eagerly proud that God would allow me to represent him. The cross is a reminder that we are sinners and must have someone to forgive us of our sins. We're separated totally from God by those sins and without Christ, we have no hope. As we look at the cross, we can see the holiness of God. As we look at the cross, we're reminded that God hates sin, but he loves the sinner. And we must tell the world about this great love. We ask ourselves, when was the last time I told somebody about Jesus? When did you just simply speak a testimony about 
when you saw and had an opportunity to say, God has been so good to me. Nobody asked you to give a dissertation on the scriptures and memorize and quote many scriptures to people when you witness. Sometimes just telling what God has done is just enough. One of the greatest problems of people who call themselves Christians is our sin of indifference. Are we really too busy? Can we make excuses? Oh, I don't want to interfere with their lives. Brother Robert, I'm just a shy person. I'm embarrassed, we might think. That person I speak to might get upset. Whatever excuses we have, it still comes around to indifference. How many times have you read a tragedy and thought, why didn't somebody do something sooner? Why didn't it happen a different way? I heard a story of a man who was standing up on the bridge and he'd been there for a while and he was planning to jump and people were gathering around to see what was going to happen. He'd reached his end, he thought. He was in despair. He was hanging on to the side of a bridge and he wanted to jump in the river. And in this life, a number of rescuers and various people were around, but everybody was not sure what to do. They'd been talking to him for a while. Then all of a sudden, the man jumps into the water over his head, struggling to stay afloat. He jumped, but he's still struggling to stay afloat. Even in his despair and making a foolish decision by jumping, he was trying to swim. All the rescuers on the bridge watched him for a while. None of them jumped in to save him. Firefighters and policemen were there and onlookers from the bridge. But in the surrounding area, down where the river was, a man saw him and he jumped in and rescued the man. Indifference. Are we guilty? I'm glad God cared enough about me to send Jesus. So God sent a holy son to save a wretched sinner like me. The cross shows the tremendous need of all mankind with our sin problem. Now this is not my opinion, but that's what God says in his word. It doesn't matter what Robert thinks. It matters what God says and what he's doing. We need the Lord Jesus. The cross itself, what does it mean to you? Let me tell you an example of one of the Christians I've known in my lifetime. Happens to be in the ministry in Japan. When we were in the early parts of the ministry, we had a lot of teenagers that were coming out of curiosity. We had a, an appeal through talking about evolution and versus creation. And uh, there were a lot of students that came out of curiosity and had some questions and different things. Things And there were young people that got saved. Then one Sunday morning, an elderly gentleman came to the place where we were having services to our church. And he introduced himself and he said, would you mind if I come to your church? I was shocked. I was so excited with somebody besides a teenager. <laughs> and it turns out he was 80-something years old. Brother Yamauchi had been saved a while, but he was going to a church that was a little bit difficult for him to get there because it was over an hour away from his home. And he lived in the town where we had started the church. So he told his pastor, I think we'll go over and 
have church with the church here in Okazaki. So he and his wife came and we prayed with him about his family. He had brothers and sister-in-laws there in that town and thank the Lord, long, long story short, Brother Yamauchi's relatives got saved. So we had young people and elderly people in the church. That's another story. But what I wanted to say, when Brother Yamauchi had a young person that would would come for the first time and he had the opportunity to do so, he'd go up to him and he said, listen, young man or young lady, I've been here and lived in my our world for 80-something years. I've tried it all. Buddhism, Shintoism, none of it means anything to you. You need Jesus. And that was Brother Amuchi's testimony. And he was such a blessing. And it was because of him, his family and other people got saved. He said, I found what I'm looking for in Jesus Christ. We do not glory in the emblem of a symbol made of whatever product it's made from, but we glory in the work of Christ on the cross. And we know, because the Bible tells us, that this work was completed. Jesus said as he hung on the cross, it is finished. No matter where we go in this world, I tell you, the need is the same. The message is the same. I've had the blessing of preaching and witnessing in America, Japan, the Philippines, Canada, and now England. The need of all people is the same. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Because God is holy, we cannot go to heaven as we are, but we must have an advocate. The cross shows us our need before the Lord. We're separated from God because of that sin. But on the other side, we are bought by his grace. God says, come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. The world is looking for rest. Secondly, consider the cost. God is love but he's also a God of justice. Since he must punish sin and he is holy, what has God done to bring us to him? He paid the total and complete price. As someone said, he paid a debt he did not owe to pay a price I could not pay. Jesus paid the price for us. We are the pearl of great price. Ephesians tells us, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So God, through Jesus, is offering redemption to the world. Don't misunderstand. I didn't say the whole world will get saved. That's God's business. But as far as you and I are concerned, we're supposed to tell the whole world. By the way, how many people live in our world this day? Can somebody tell me what, we're, what big figure we're approaching? Eight billion people. When I first started preaching, it was four billion. So about 50 years ago, the population has doubled 50 years later. But as much as we can see, God looks at the people of the world and offers redemption to all. For God so loved the world 
That's why the Bible says, whosoever will may come. Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We know that old song, Jesus paid it all. Matthew 13, 45 and 46, again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Jesus saw us as a pearl and said, I want this precious jewel. He paid the price and he gives us salvation freely. I heard a story, a missionary story about uh, people in India. This is some years back. Uh, This missionary had been ministering and trying to reach people in that area. And one of his friends and the the family of friends had become, uh, they were pearl divers. Back in the day before they had the oxygen tanks and all those kind of things. So this family literally devoted their life to learning how to dive deeply for the most precious pearls. Previously, before the, the story comes out, is the, the elderly gentleman, one of his sons, dove to the darkest area, the deepest area, and came up with the black pearl, the most precious one that everybody was looking for. But he came up, Fortunately, it came up, but it was too late because he inhaled and was drowned. But he came up with the black pearl in his hand. That was precious to this unsaved older Indian gentleman in the country of India. And he'd become good friends with the missionary. And one day, all of a sudden, he thought, I want to give this to my friend, the missionary. The missionary um, appreciated his gesture, but he thought, I've been talking to him in different ways. I've been hoping to look for a way to reach him, and he felt led by the Spirit to talk to him again. He said, you know, I don't know about this. I don't know if I can accept it freely. Let me pay you for it. Some of the talks that the missionary had with him, the elderly gentleman always tried to think, well, you know, someday maybe I'll earn enough that I'll be able to pay God for salvation. He thought it was something that he could purchase. And so at first he offended the man who was offering this precious black pearl to him. The missionary stopped and explained. He said, I'm trying to make a point. You know, many times we've talked, but when you offered me this wonderful gift and so precious it is, I don't, I don't think I could really accept it because it's so precious. But he said, I wanted you to know that's what your life is to God. Your life is precious like that black pearl that your son gave his life for. And he's offering you salvation as a gift. The only way we will see God someday is because of the cross of Jesus. When we simply put our trust in what God did and not in something that we do, when by faith we accept the finished work of Christ on the cross, we can have a home in heaven. God does a mighty work on our behalf through Jesus to declare us righteous so that we can go to heaven. How wonderful our Father is. Again, he did something for us we cannot do. Jesus stepped up and said, I'll pay that penalty, Father. For the whole world, he took care of it. Jesus gave his righteousness to us as our Savior. His very own righteousness is put on our account when we take Jesus as personal Lord and Savior. 
That's a doctrine called justification. When you feel discouraged, when sometimes you doubt, just remember you didn't do it. God did it and he gave it to you as you ask him. If you know there's a definite time in your life when the doubts come, don't listen to the doubts. Just remember God did the work at a definite time in your life and trust him. Not only can you know the promise of God, but you can rest in the work of God. He did the work. He did the saving. Jesus was a gift given to bring us to God. He was not just a good man dying for the sins of mankind. He's not just a good man on these, some of the symbols where they represent that he's still there. No, he finished the job. He's no longer there. He is God who became man. Lastly, notice his commitment. All the sacrifices of the Old Testament did not atone for their sins. But those sacrifices were a picture of what God was going to do on the cross in the future to atone for sin. Did you know that Hebrews is basically a writing, a letter written to those that received it, first of all, telling and reminding all of us, even to this day, that Jesus is a better offering than the offerings of before. Blood offering did not pay for their sins, but there was a reminder of the supreme sacrifice God was going to send to save the world for the sins of the saints before. Romans 3.23 says, Whom God has sent forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remissions of sins that are past. God withheld his wrath and condemnation simply because they did what God told them to do. The same in our lives. God would withhold his wrath because of our obedience to him and our belief in the Savior. Without the cross, there's no access to heaven. Our world needs this precious gift. They must have Jesus. As we look at the cross and the cost, don't forget his commitment to us. As we look at the grace of God, our responsibility to serve him goes beyond the Old Testament example. Our response to God's grace will show in our witness for God. So let me ask you and myself, what is our commitment to God? Total commitment comes from Christ. God's plan for us was from the beginning of time. It was to bring you and I to him. And the only way was to have that supreme sacrifice. We know that total commitment came from Jesus. Now we are called to respond. First of all, you must respond to his salvation that's offered to you. If you do not know Christ as your savior, why not today? If you do, what, ha what part of your life, what part of you have you committed to him and for his service? We must worship him and adore him and praise him for what he has done. That's part of what our Christmas season is about. Not as the world celebrates, but we as Christians. Is there anything that you're unsure about? Today is the time to get it settled. Christians, have you allowed Christ to use you to be a te testimony for him? 
We talked about the cross. We talked about the supreme cost of our Savior. And now we're talking about the commitment. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. The ambassador represents the king, does he not? He speaks with the authority of the throne. He carries with him the approval of one who has sent him. If the ambassador sends a request to the king, will the king listen? If we are God's ambassadors in this world and we come to our king with a request, will he listen? I say by all means he will. God is doing the same today. Christ himself prays, Hebrews 7.25, and he invites us to pray. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The job of the Old Testament priests was to intercede for his people before God. So in our intercession, we function as priests, standing in the gap between the people of earth and God. And the Bible tells us that Christians have an actual seat with Christ in the heavens. Wow. Ephesians 2 says that very truth to us. So when we pray, we speak on behalf of others. Whatever you want to put in there. Family, neighborhood, softball team, friends. Your sphere of influence is your region. As you grow in faith, your district expands. God burdens you with concern for many different things. This church has had a reputation for supporting and doing ministry where they are at home, the outside areas, and abroad. You're supporting many missionaries. God burdens you with a concern for orphans and distant lands and needy people. We not only need to pray, but we need to respond as we pray when God impresses on our hearts. Be the prayer warrior in your house. Plead with God on behalf of others. Our prayers have an impact on the coming of God's kingdom. God will not turn you away. Your persistent prayers will also have an impact to open God's door for your church, for your family, and for your friends. Again, back to it. What is our commitment? I'll close with this story. I actually read this story before I went to England, but after I visited some of the small villages and towns, I could kind of picture this story a little bit. And it goes back probably 100 years or so at least. An old village story. A family of four in their little straw cottage, suddenly it caught on fire. In a few seconds, everything was ablaze. It's a time when there's no fire engines, no particular way of putting out fires other than just trying to get water. Villagers in a remote spot stood there helpless, thinking what to do. It's two adults and two children. Suddenly, a young man who'd only lived there for a short time ran into the fire, into the house, 
Can nothing be done to rescue, he's thinking. No one responded, so he said, I will. He emerged with a child under each arm. Basically, the children were unharmed, but Andy had burned both of his hands as far up as you could see. He was terribly burned. One of the kind older women in the town took care of him as much as she could. And this kind of setup back in that day, I'm told that the town made those kind of decisions when it came to families, especially when the parents were lost. What are we going to do with these needy children? Who's going to take care of them? The parents are now gone. There were two people that stood up and claimed. One was a gracious squire who had plenty of money and places and way to take care of them financially. Guess who the other one was? Andy. Andy said, I'll take care of those children. And he held up his hands. His burnt hands. He had paid a price and he was committed. The town said, we'll all help Andy take care of the children. I say, that's a good story about commitment. In each of our lives, there is some commitment, but can there be more? For the cause of Christ, is there more that we could, sounds strange to say do, but is there more that we may surrender to God in order that he might do more? I thank God for the privilege of being a part of this assembly for the people that I know you are. And every time I preach this message, I'm challenged again. There's more. There's more to be done. I've seen the villages. Oh, I've seen the edifices. But when I'm personally looking, trying to say, well, how many people go to that building for any kind of worship? I didn't ever see very much. Not very many people. The English say, well, we're just kind of, we've gotten past all that. They're very cold, and the missionaries in the country of England have a big challenge before them. But you know what? God is up to the challenge. His word will do the work if we get it there. And I know that you will continue to do your part as God blesses and burdens and grows this ministry. And we pray for you often. We thank God for his opportunity. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to share your word. These lips are not worthy of the opportunity, but you gave it to me. And I thank you so much. I ask that you will stir the hearts, bless the hearts of your people as they continue to venture out and say, Lord, we want to do more. Bless now as the pastor comes to lead us in this in time, this invitation, do your work for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.